You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Guys, is Seth Jarvis the best prospect since Connor McDavid? How can you say that when he's been playing on the same rink as Jameson Reese? That flurry guy was pretty good, too. Who? What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Track of the Storm podcast. My name is Brandon. That's Matt and Alex. We have actual hockey to talk about. We're getting very, very close. Uh, we got real games coming up in under a week now from when you'll be hearing this. Um so yeah, we got some preseason to talk about, and we have a very, very special guest that we are extremely excited to get into in just a minute. But before we do anything else, let's take a quick moment and get a word from DraftKings. Hockey is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on the planet. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game to win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. No matter if it's a slick feed from Terabina to Ajo, a Michigan from Spetch, or a greasy, dirty goal out front from the fourth line, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any hockey game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This week, we are very, very excited to welcome a very special guest, and that is none other than Hurricanes Assistant General Manager, Eric Tulski. So, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on here with us, and uh, we're excited to get to chat with you a little bit. Hey, thanks for having me. I guess first, we're just want to talk about your background a little bit and, you know, how you got to where you are today. Um, I know you're Harvard educated, and <laughs> there's lots of stories out there about, you know, weird background and stuff. So why don't you break down just for us a little bit what your path to the NHL and to the Carolina Hurricanes was? Yeah, it was definitely a winding path. Um, So I got my undergrad degree in chemistry and physics, got a graduate degree in inorganic chemistry, um, and I was working for a biotech making uh, fluorescent labels for biological applications. So we're looking at DNA sequencing, we were looking at medical imaging, we were doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, I was at that company for five years, left there and worked at startups in materials chemistry. So company doing solar cells for a couple of years, company doing uh, 
batteries for electric vehicles for a couple of years. Um, completely independently on the side, I started writing about hockey stats um, just for fun. And, you know, my writing caught on. I um, found myself with a little bit of a following and started wondering if maybe there would be a consulting gig in it somewhere along the way. Um, and really did not imagine it being a career. I thought it would be a one-off project here and there might be fun. Um, you know, just cool to say I worked with an NHL team and I had a couple one-off projects and it was cool. And one of the times that I emailed a bunch of teams saying, Hey, let me know if you want to do something. The Canes got back to me and, um, they talked about something more than a one-off project. So the, we put together a proposal that had me working about 20 or 25 hours a week on the side, in addition to my day job. Um, so that was a long year. And uh, at the end of the year, I was like, I, you know, this has been great, but I can't do two jobs forever. Um, and they made me an offer to come on full time. That was summer of 2015. So I've been out here ever since. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like it was a great decision. Obviously, that uh, speaks for itself. But Eric, man, um, just want to thank you again for joining us. Um, you know, last year, you you said, you know, how you came in in 2015 as just you started off as a consultant in the organization. And last year, you get a promotion to assistant general manager. So, you know, talk about really climbing up the ladder. Um, just take us through a little what your day to day with the hurricanes kind of entails. Yeah, so that's changed a lot over time. Um, when I started, I was the only analyst on staff, and initially my job was primarily just building out infrastructure, setting stuff up to ingest the NHL's play-by-play -play and produce reports that we wanted, and you know, I had sort of pre-game and post-game stuff that I did and reports periodically on our team and on the league, and then there's random questions that come up when you know there's a trade or a contract or whatever. Um, and so the combination of getting some infrastructure in place and doing that reporting, reporting was a full-time job easily. Um, we brought on Kevin Cam to help with some of the infrastructure. He's way better at it than I am. He's an actual programmer where I am not. Um, and that let me have more time to focus on the reporting and a little bit more research as well. At the start, when I was really getting stuff set up, I didn't have as much time for research as I wanted. And so having Kevin on board was a big help for getting into more sort of digging into things that we should be doing and weren't yet, bringing in new data sources that we hadn't had before. Um, and then I guess almost well over a year and a half ago now um, in anticipation of player and puck tracking coming online we knew we needed to build out our horsepower a little bit more and so we brought on uh, Margaret Cuniff who is a researcher figuring out what we can do with the data and Matt Walter who's a developer figuring out how to help us store and ingest and make use of the data um, and that's sort of the team on that side now. Um, my job, in addition to managing that group and reporting out, has also become more sort of broad across the organization, where I'm also doing things like leading the pro scouting group and um, having conversations about managing the cap and um, 
CBA implications and things like that. So working with each of the different people that we have in management now and sort of helping to make sure that we're um, getting all of the information we can and using it in the right ways. So would you say that you can now recite the CBA from heart? No. Uh, so um, <laughs> Aaron Schwartz is our director of hockey operations and it's his job to be able to recite the CBA from my heart. <laughs> Um, it's my job to ask him when I need to know something. <laughs> friend of the podcast. Yeah, friend of the podcast. Right, right. <laughs> um, He's a friend of everyone. He's a good guy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what I, what I kind of want to talk about here is, especially in recent years, it seems like the analytics community and the public sphere especially has just kind of exploded. Um, so do you want to touch on just how, how much you've seen that community grow and what it means for hockey moving forward? Yeah, it's grown a lot for sure. Um, both, I think there's more people doing it. I think actually the bigger growth has been in number of people paying attention to it. So it used to be almost all of the work existed on obscure blogs that mostly don't exist anymore now. Um, and it was you know, pre-Twitter or the early days of Twitter didn't really get that much attention in that community. It was mostly blog posts and comments. And if you happened to have found the irreverent Euler fans blog, then you were there as part of that conversation. And if you were the large majority of the world that hadn't, then you didn't know that existed. Um, and the combination of Twitter and it ending up on some bigger blogs and eventually making its way into more mainstream publications has meant that there are a lot more eyeballs on this stuff now and a lot more people thinking about it in this way. At the same time in the world beyond hockey, I think data science has exploded too, right? Like in the world in general, there are a lot more people learning how to use data and thinking about how to use data and thinking about how to think about data. And so that supplies more talent for people trying to work with the data and it supplies more general interest in the populace to think about what they could do with this and what it would mean. Um, and so that's how we got where we are. Yeah, so take us a little into, um, you know, how you guys kind of differentiate with all this stuff. Cause I mean, in, in kind of the world of analytics, it's the metrics are expanding, the stats, the numbers are all expanding and like, you know, guys like us, we, it really doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but to guys with, you know, your knowledge and expertise, how do you guys <laughs> differentiate um, between the stuff that could help you out as a team um, and the stuff that's just kind of not useful? Yeah, I think that's an important skill. Um, it, honestly, when I think about what I got trained in as a chemist, there's almost nothing that applied directly. Like chemistry does not have a lot of hard calculation or data science. Um, the, the transferable skill was that in chemistry, there's a lot of problems where you don't have all the information you would need. You have conflicting pieces of information. You have information that hints at something but doesn't quite give a conclusive answer and getting really comfortable with that uncertainty and being able to synthesize a bunch of pieces of information that tell part of the story into a coherent explanation that probably makes sense and 
think about how likely it is that that's the right answer and how you could test it and what else you would need to know and how you could change, what would make you change your mind. That's all what transferred over really well. And the world of hockey stats is exactly the same. There's a whole bunch of pieces of information that tell you a piece of the story. Maybe it's a big piece, maybe it's a small piece, maybe it's a piece that's not always right. And the skill of an analyst is being able to sort through that and come up with an opinion, whether it's with your mind or with a model, there are different ways of doing it, but integrating the information to get an answer is a big part of the skill of the analyst. It's um, one of my pet peeves is when people ask, what do the numbers say? And the numbers tell you how many shots a team took or whatever. They don't say how good a player is. That's all part of the inference from piecing together all the different pieces of information we have. And the problem with saying, what do the numbers say is it implies that there's a single answer and any analyst you asked would give the same answer. When in reality, I think everybody looks at different pieces of information and thinks about different things differently. And you might get a consensus on some things, but there is no single correct answer. Or at least if there is, we don't know how to identify it. So I guess that kind of ties into what I wanted to ask next about kind of misconceptions about analytics, both, you know, in in the hockey community and how people view the hurricanes as a team that uses analytics. Um, So are there any misconceptions that might kind of be a pet peeve for you? Yeah. I mean, I I think I gave you my big pet peeve of the day Um, (laughs) in terms of uh, um, misconceptions about how teams use it. I think everybody's different. Um, and even within our organization, different groups approach it different ways. Um, so you might have a group of scouts who really want to watch the game first and form their own opinions with their eyes and then go look at some data to see if they need to question what they saw. You might have other people who want to start with the data and get a primer on, here's what I ought to be watching for to see if I can back it up or think see if it's wrong. You might have a group that wants to have them kept completely separate until it's decision-making time. Um, And again, I don't think there is a right answer or wrong answer. It depends on what people are trying to do and what they're comfortable with. Um, And I do think as an organization, we try to think about what we can tell from data on almost any problem. Uh, but how we go about that depends a lot on what the problem is and who's looking at it and what's going to be most efficient in that area. All right, we'll change gears here just a little bit. Um, I'm guessing you get asked about analytics all the time, so we didn't want to beat home that or beat that home too much. But um, we'll get into some personnel stuff now. Uh, obviously, this was an offseason with a ton of turnover. And, um, you know, one of the big questions was you had a young rising star that was up for restricted free agency. There was a lot of discourse out there. Is he going to get a bridge deal? What's that going to look like? But obviously, now we know Andre Svechnikov gets the big eight-year extension. He's going to be a hurricane for the foreseeable future. Um, so can you talk about that extension a little bit? And, you know, was there any, or what was the conversation like about bridge deal long-term? What did you want to do? And what do you see foresee for his future? Yeah. I mean, we love Andre. Andre, as far as I know, loves us. I don't think it was ever a question that he was going to be a hurricane for a long, long time. 
the only question is whether you sign the long, long contract now or kick it down the road a couple of years. Um, and you know, that I think just comes down to what what the numbers look like in terms of dollars and what the player and team are most comfortable with. Um, for us, we knew that right now we could afford a bigger deal. We didn't need it to be a bridge deal to fit within our cap this year. And so there is some value to getting it locked in. And you know, it'd be great if he had 100 points this year. We'd all be happy about that. But if he's on a bridge deal, you're going, well, but now it's going to cost us money. for <laughs> So now we can just be happy for him and not have to worry about what it's going to cost us. Um, and there is some value in getting that certainty done. And, you know, it's when you go to a player and offer him an eight year contract, there is a real emphasis there that you trust him, believe in him, want him for the long term. You know, you've seen enough to know that you want him here forever. Um, and I think he and he recognized that that's how we felt about him. And we got the deal done. And one thing I want to say real quick, um, just that kind of. You know, you mentioned the, about a bridge deal. We saw a player um, in Elias Pettersson signing a bridge deal. And a narrative that I've seen a lot with restricted free agents this summer is a lot probably want those three-year deals because when the cap eventually goes up again, there's more money to be had. So if anything, this just makes the Svetch deal look even better, right? You know, you're getting somebody on a guaranteed term for a longer time without having to give him something like a ridiculous pay raise. Yeah. Um, it adds certainty. I, I think the bridge deal could go either way. Um, it's possible that three years from now, the cap has barely gone up at all and teams have gotten really accustomed to not having the cap go up very much. And maybe the next contract isn't as big as it would have been, you know, right now the term deals that people are used to, kind of have baked in the assumption that the cap is always going to go up. And when teams think about what they're willing to pay, they're sort of accustomed to cap inflation, making the contract cheap, cheaper over time. And maybe after a few years of a flat cap, that changes and the long-term deals don't get more expensive. It's hard to know. Um, you know, the old saying, it's really hard to make predictions, especially about the future. So. Um, in this case, I think, you know, we we found a number that the player and the team were comfortable with and getting it set up so he's never going to have to worry about money and we're never going to have to worry about him was a good situation for us. Yeah, I mean, it seems like an ideal fit for both sides. And, you know, honestly, men, listening to you talk um, about analytics and stuff and just how meticulous you guys are as a group um, about every decision, it's like, it almost, as a fan, it almost makes me never want to question another decision that the team makes because it's like, you know, these guys, they break down every single detail, every spec that the casual fan just doesn't, just doesn't even consider as like a possibility. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, like you guys just do a wonderful job. Um, yeah, you know, don't trust us too much. I, I spent a lot of years as a blogger arguing with people who relied on appeal to authority arguments. So you should still question <laughs> us when you see something going the other way. Well, I mean, like, let's be honest. Over the off season, I mean, it, it's a business, right? Um, the team made like a couple 
I guess you would say unpopular decisions um, within the fan base, you know, trading Alex Nedeljkovic, who'd become a fan favorite as well as uh, Dougie Hamilton, who'd, you know, he had a great following and we, I, I won't bring up Hayden Fleury just, just, just for the sake, you know, don't, don't want to, don't want to beat down that alley again. <laughs> he might not know your bit, buddy. <laughs> oh, he knows the bit, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just, now I feel like I, I shouldn't have any questions about what you guys are doing as an organization, but kind of moving into my next question, um, how much do you guys really take from uh, your data and group uh, and like the whole group as, as like a cohesive unit um, and put that into, you know, kind of making decisions on what kind of players you're going to bring in. And if you're okay with moving on from, you know, certain guys that had really adhered themselves to the team and the fan base and, kind of completely changing directions where you have an entire new goalie tandem. Um, you have, I think there's nine new guys on the roster for next year. So a lot of turnover. Um, what, what makes you guys comfortable with doing all of that? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, we, um, a lot of the players you named were really good for us and we were every bit as fond of them as you were. Um, and you know, I guess one of the differences between someone who is in management and someone who gets to just enjoy it as a fan is we're kind of stuck having to do what we think is going to produce the most wins. And if you if you turn down deals because you like a player, um, you know, it's in some ways it's unfair to the franchise and to the rest of the players who are there to win, right? Um, and it is, we do have a responsibility to do whatever we can to add the most wins to our roster. We're not always going to be right. And some of the moves that we make, you know, there's always going to be some unpopular moves and sometimes we will be wrong. And that's, um, I think it's one of the things that I like about this group is we're not afraid of that. You know, it's, I think there's an understanding that if you get three right and two wrong, you're better off than not having done anything. Um, and that doesn't mean we won't hear about those other two a lot, but you know, you have to be prepared to take that. Um, you know, I, I, um, I think we do have a lot of change. I don't think that, you know, I know that's not easy for fans. I, it's not easy for us either. Like, Rod loves his players and it's not easy for him to see this much turnover. And um, it's not easy for us in management either. Like we have relationships with these guys, um, but ultimately we're trying to put the best team on the ice that we can. And between managing the salary cap in the near term and the long term, and managing the personnel that we have and where we saw holes, we believed that the things we did this off season put us in better position. And just adding on to that real quick, I mean, I have to think that having Rod Brendamore is maybe makes it a little bit easier for you to have that much turnover. Cause you know, with a lot of teams, you see that much turnover in a season and you feel like it's a big concern, but I feel like, you know, it just seems like the players love playing for Rod so much that it might be a little bit easier to implement so many new players and new faces under a team than maybe it would be somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, it puts a lot of stress on his ability as a teacher, right? He has a whole bunch of people who need to learn something new. And some of them, the guy next to them is also learning something new and might not be 
used to the, the expectations enough to cover for them when something goes wrong. And so it's going to be a challenge for him. Um, you know, we, we think the world of him and we believe that it'll turn out okay in the end. Um, but there's no doubt we made his job harder with the turnover. Um, I, uh, I do think the way we play is somewhat different from a lot of teams. You know, we play this very um, fast paced game where we want people to pressure all the time. And when we bring someone in from a team that hasn't played that way, it can take the player a little time to get used to like, you need to go and you need to go right away um, because you need to be there pressuring. Everybody behind you is counting on that pressure to make their jobs work. And that's where having a couple people on the ice at a time who aren't used to that can be tricky. And it will be up to Rod to help them get a sense for where they need to do and how they need to make that decision quickly. Kind of speaking about the players that, you know, we brought in, um, when Aaron Schwartz was on the podcast, he mentioned, you know, the team was looking to get better in the corners, both in the defensive zone and in the offensive zone. But I do kind of want to talk about, you know, in that same vein, you guys brought in Ian Cole, who, at least judging from both his past history and what we've seen. And I think two preseason games, if I'm not mistaken, he's looking like that guy. Can you just kind of speak on what the mindset was for bringing him in? Yeah. I mean, um, he's a veteran player. He brings a lot of, um, a lot of defensive presence to the game. You know, he will, settle things down on his pairing. And I mean that physically, I mean it in terms of pace. I mean it in terms of, you know, sort of in every way, I think having him there on the bench and on the ice will help settle the team down. Um, And we play this frenetic style and it can be really nice to have that counterweight. Um, And the flip side of that is we do need, people to be able to play quickly both with their feet and with their mind. And he can do that, right? He's not somebody who needs everything to be slow around him. He can play at the pace um, and he has the defensive instincts and the mindset to make sure that we keep the game under control. We've got, we've got Mr. Kane's prospects on the, on the podcast. We've got Mr. Future Kane's. You knew some prospect questions were going to come. Um, you know, over the last at least five years, uh, the Hurricanes have definitely established themselves as one of the best drafting teams in the NHL as far as taking, you know, taking chances on guys that might have some red flags or size issues or, you know, you guys just draft the best player available regardless of any flaws that, you know, um, the average scout or team might see. Um, and, and, you know, obviously it's turned out pretty well with the Hurricanes having one of the top prospect systems in hockey. Um, so why don't you just take us through kind of what, you know, without, without dumping the secret sauce, because we, we, we don't want to, we don't want to let the NHL catch up here, but what, what are some things you guys really look for when you're scouting and, and things that you would say are important, um, leading up to the draft? Yeah. I mean, uh, you want players who are good at everything, of course, right? Like that's, if we could have a player who is fantastic in every way. That would be our first choice. 
Um, we hope to be drafting late enough each year that the players who are fantastic at everything aren't available anymore. <laughs> and so then you need to decide what is most important, what you would consider easiest to let go of if you have to let go of something. And for us, the thing that we, I think, focus on as much as possible is hockey sense. We want people who can think the game at full speed. And it comes back to playing this pressure style. We need players to be able to make decisions quickly. We need them to be able to make plays with the puck when they're under pressure. We need them to be able to go apply their pressure defensively. We need them to be able to make the quick read and pick up the right man. Um, and looking for players who process the game at full speed um, has been a focus for us. Of course, hockey sense on its own only gets you so far. So you need some skill to go with it so that you use your vision to make the play. You need some puck skills to be able to get that pass through or get the shot off. Um, you need to be able to compete. Um, it's, a, you know, the NHL is a very competitive league and a skilled player who's not competitive is going to struggle. So you do need all of these other assets as well. But I think hockey sense is the starting place for us with most of the guys we look at. Sticking with prospects, um, and I hate to not point to the defenseman first. So I will say Joey Keane and Jesper Selgren have been very impressive this preseason as well. But it seems like most of the attention is going to the three forwards right now and Jack Drury, Jamison Reese, and Seth Jarvis that have really been impressive this preseason. Um, Obviously, the situation is a little bit tough right now for Jarvis because he's got either the nine game try or after the nine game tryout, he would have to go back to the WHL, can't go to the AHL like the other two could. But how much of a case are those three guys making right now? And uh, what do you guys see from a front office perspective that maybe is making you guys uh, pull your hair out a little bit trying to figure out what you're going to do with these guys? Yeah, they've been really good. There's no question that the bright futures and are going to be a part of um, good things to come. I think all three of them are young and whether they make it into our top six tomorrow or in a year um, in the big picture, it's not going to make or break the franchise. And we need to think about what makes the most sense for the player as well as the team. And if the only spot we have available is playing a few minutes a game, you know, maybe not even getting in every night. That might be good for a player for a little while to get a taste of the NHL. It might not be great for them in the long term. Um, on the other hand, another player, maybe that is what they need. Maybe they are already thinking the game fast enough that the AHL or juniors in Jarvis case won't challenge them. And they do need to be, even if it's only a few minutes a night, having to play a few minutes at NHL pace to get used to that against NHL size and in an NHL system. So it depends a lot on the player and what they're ready for. Um, I think if we had, you know, if six of our forwards fell off a cliff tomorrow, that would be really sad. We would all have a hard time getting over it. Um, but I think those three guys could step in and fill spots and look okay and I think we have other guys who could as well so it's not a question of need it's a question of um, what's going to work best for them in the near term and the long term and how we can 
position the team to have success this year and the players to have success in the long run. Right. Because I mean, especially at, you know, in Jarvis's case, you know, he's 19. Um, he's still probably six years away from entering his prime. So, you know, it might not hurt for him to go back to junior. If it, I mean, if he does, obviously, you know, we, at least I don't know. Um, so getting that extra development time is going to be good. And I think that's something that especially, you know, recently has been the case where we've seen where a player gets that time to develop in the pros. And then once they make it to the NHL, they're better prepared than they would have been a year or two prior. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, you said you don't know what's going to be best and nobody does and you can't know. And even after the fact, you know, Nitsch just spent a year or two in the AHL and looked really good afterwards. And you say, well, that was the right thing, but who knows, maybe it would have been even better the other way. Like we're never going to know what the right answer was. Um, all you can do is look at what you think the player needs to work on and where that will be easiest and most efficient. And you can make your guesses, but um, you never know. So I, our development team is really good. Um, Sergei Samsonov working with the forwards and Peter Harold working with the defensemen are both really sharp guys, both played in the league and know what it takes to make that transition. And you know, I have a lot of faith that wherever our players end up, they'll be put in position to make the steps they need to make. I guess the last thing that we would have is um, where do you see the team, uh, whether it's, you know, this season, next year, five years from now, do you see the team continuing to push for those Stanley Cups? Do you see us winning five Stanley Cups in a row or, you know, what's what's the what's the goal? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say this. If. I told you somebody is going to win the next five cups in a row. You would think it's as likely to be us as anyone, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, like we have a team that is really good and on the young side and has a lot of prospects coming. And so I think we're well situated to be very competitive for a long time. Um, you know, you never know how it's going to go. I, I'm not going to promise you five straight cups, but I think we are in good place. Right. It's probably better that you don't promise the fans five straight cups. <laughs> yeah, you know. They'll, find yeah, they'll, they'll hold it against you. <laughs> well, folks, now that we've been promised five straight cups, um, <laughs> when it doesn't happen, uh, direct all of your complaints uh, to At this Eric. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the podcast. Sorry, that works. Right. No, we don't want to put all that on him. But um, I think that's about all we have. And Eric, I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast and, uh, you know, answering questions from these two, uh, three hooligans. I'll, I'll include myself in that. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. This is the brains behind the operation. You can follow him at Eric Tolsky for, you know, the occasional tweet. But uh, most of his work is seen on the ice. And uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Good luck this season. Take care. Thank you. You too. What a gentleman. Holy guy. man, honestly, I think that was pretty good. I, I gotta be honest, man. Talking to a guy that smart 
Oh, I know. It just made me feel it's dumber. Like you know what I mean? Like you would say that, like we 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 hyped it up that the podcast was gonna get smarter, but I think we all got dumber in the process. So. Literally, I'm sitting here like, man, I, I don't know, man. I'm like, I, man. While he was talking about like the analytical side of that stuff, man, I was just I was mind blown. Honestly, like I just as a casual fan, like, and we're not even casuals, right? We're diehards, but you you almost don't consider like every little thought process that goes into it and every little detail that he explained and but like my god man like i said like i told him man i i don't want i don't want to question another decision this team ever makes <laughs> right. because it's like how much thought and effort goes into it and then we're just gonna sit here and, and question it like like you know it just it makes me feel wrong for doing it so um well what i found to be so interesting about the whole thing was uh you know when he said that you know one stat doesn't tell the whole story, right? It, it kind of affirms what I've been feeling. Like when I when I see an like a stat, like I'll use Corsi for an example, right? Like uh, somebody posted, Ethan Bear had like an eighty-two percent Corsi four the other night, which is ridiculous, right? He was really good the other night, but yeah. it doesn't show the entire story of yeah. you know why was Bear just getting offensive zone starts? Was he getting defensive zone starts? So it's like you know. When I see certain stats, I'm like, well, yeah, but then they did this or they were put in this. So there are other things that go into it. And it's just like you combine it all to at least paint a better picture. Right. These stats are available to everybody at this point, right? Like in 2021, everybody has these, but it's about how you apply it. And that's a lot of what Eric was saying is, you know, you can look at these stats and say it doesn't paint the whole picture. Like you said, like you have to be able to use it within the realm of you know, the situations, like you said, like offensive zone starts and, you know, what kind of situations these players are being put in and then how they're taking advantage of them to put forward these stats. And I think that's probably what separates the hurricanes from other teams is because not very many teams, if any, have an Eric Tulski sitting in their front office that is able to explain and, you know, translate all these numbers into what they really mean for a certain player. So I think that goes a long way for the Hurricanes, as we've seen over the last few years, as they, you know, climb in within the tiers of the NHL and continue to grow. And that's why they're in such good shape moving forward. It makes you think about things more like, you know, obviously the uproar about the trio of trio of NHL goaltenders that the Hurricanes had last year. I mean, James Reimer, Peter Morozik, and, and Alex Nedeljkovic are all, are all established NHL goalies. And, you know, Nedeljkovic is a rookie. He's in the Calder. Um, he's in the, the he's a Calder finalist. He leads the league in save percentage and basically almost every every important stat. Um, you know, limited sample size and all, but I mean, it makes you think when a team is comfortable moving on from all three of those guys and completely starting over at a position where, you know, the two guys they're bringing in have all kinds of question marks. A lot more goes into this than people may give the team credit for. I mean, it's easy to sit there behind behind our phones and on our keyboards and criticize that, Hey, you know, what the hell are you doing? Why are you trading Alex Nedeljkovic after we all grew a love for him? But I mean, these guys, they break down every single little detail and, you know, they got their jobs, they got their families and, you know, the success of the franchise on the line. So, I mean, it really makes you think about things and consider things kind of in a different light when you talk to a guy that kind of, kind of makes light of all that stuff that you don't really think about. So uh, like I said, I don't want to be questioning any decisions the team makes anymore. I mean, I'm always going to question the decision to move Hayden Fleury. Just got to stick that in there because, I mean, 
you know, what did we get for him? We basically gave my boy away. I can't let that one slip. But, uh, I mean, I- I've got full faith I mean, he, in these guys. He even said you're not going to be right every time. It's just, you know. So, yeah, he, he admitted they were wrong on, on Flurry. So, I mean. Well, and I don't think he, he admitted, like, directly that they were wrong on Flurry. I think that's no, no, pushing yeah, he, he did. No, no, he did. He did. He did. He did. Okay. Uh, the listeners heard it. We'll, ha- we'll let you have it this time. <laughs> but, like, you know, what they are doing is they're setting themselves up to be wrong less often right yeah like um i think somebody i forget who it was said their job is basically to be wrong about oh it's the guy who actually i agree with the least in the analytics community but his bio is you know (laughs) attempting to be wrong about hockey less often and that guy yeah he will shall not be mentioned uh I, I just don't want to drag on somebody's work because yeah. I know people put a lot of work into it. Um and it, it's like they're it's so true with the analytics community. So many people out here are putting way more effort than I could ever imagine into something like this. Like it's it's a second job for a lot of people. And so, you know. The analytics community is growing. A lot of better stats are out there. And I think what it's doing is giving the average fan more of an idea of what a player can do, right? But it's exciting. I mean, the this interview really just cemented the fact that, you know, the, the Canes know what they're doing, right? Like, certain moves are definitely unpopular and i can think of one right oh i can think of one but and it's not hayden flurry alex sorry but um you know the canes have at least done their homework i think we can we can agree on the fact that the canes have done their homework on every move they brought in down to you know the ahl team too right like I'll yeah. throw out a name. Like yeah. they did their homework on Maxine Letinov. Letinov and yeah. Hatfield and Nason and these guys. I mean, and Nason's having a great camp, right? So yeah. all of a sudden, the Canes are looking. You know, like they might have somebody that might replace. You know, somebody on that fourth line, right? So I mean. If anything, it just makes me confident knowing that the team has done research when they make a move. Now, whether it's right or not, you know, no team is right 100% of the time, right? Brandon, anything to add? You've been quiet. Uh, Not really. Do you guys want to talk about uh, this last couple games at all or not? We might as well. At least just a little bit before we uh, get out of here. Um, Well, that that has been – there's been two games since we last talked together, right? Yeah. Yeah, we just had the first one for the last pod. Right. Well, the uh, the Tampa Bay game, I, it was a very young team against a very veteran Tampa Bay lineup. Um, and the Hurricanes definitely, the youngsters showed very, very well up until the third period when I think, um, you know, some of the lightning stars, Kucherov and friends decided to really turn it on. Um, but there's still a lot of good to take away from that game too. And then last night, I was really impressed with the same kind of guys, you know, Jack Drury has been really, really good all preseason. Um, and then Ethan Bear was the guy that I, you know, mentioned really, really stood out to me last game. 
Um, I was actually in row P for that game, so it was pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, what do you guys think about uh, what we've seen so far? Well, yeah, I mean, right away I agree with you. Um, Bear was phenomenal, man. He he was, he, like I said on Twitter, I think he's trigger happy. Um, he's got good precision on his shots too. He, he, he takes shots that uh, make dangerous opportunities, you know, low. He gets it through off the pads and he's, he's got a good release. I mean, I've been saying it since they acquired him. I think in a system like this, where potentially, uh, I mean, we haven't really seen it yet, but potentially maybe as the season goes on, maybe he gets and earns some power play time. Um, you know, as he gets more comfortable in the system with, you know, the hurricanes have a lot more depth than the Oilers did. I mean, if if he's not out there with McDavid and dry saddle, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to create offense. Um, right. But with the Hurricanes' his depth, I think I think he's got a lot of untapped upside. And another guy I kind of want to talk about a little um, was Angie Ranta because, you know, throughout the summer I've kind of been saying that I really think he could maybe be a dark horse to kind of earn his way in the crease and emerge as a starting guy. Um, you know, you don't want to get or put too much stock into preseason games, but that first game against Tampa, man, ooh, that was, that was a rough one. I mean – I said burn the tape for his sake. Um, but, I mean, against Nashville the other night, he he did look a lot better. I think he, he does look a little slow right now. Um, let's just hope it's some preseason rust and let him kind of get it out of the way now because um, they're going to need him and they're going to have to rely on him eventually. Um, but, you know, I think Freddie Anderson has definitely uh, earned the first nod in the crease. Yeah, yeah, I can't put I, too much into preseason games for goalies, but he's let in some goals that it's like, yeah, probably want to save there, which we'll see. Yeah, just doesn't matter if things are any different. He's just, I mean, I'm just saying, I think goal. if it was a competition at all, um, with Freddie Anderson's really performance, okay. yeah, yeah, I mean, the money, the money kind of made it <laughs> right. obvious, but it was kind of like a, I kind of considered it a wait and see, you know, it's kind of, I think it's a tandem where you just you roll with the hot hand, yeah, um. But I mean, you know, based on the preseason, I think it's it's Anderson, who's probably going to get the first crack anyway. But he's just, you know, cemented that that that's the way it has to be right now. Right, the goalie that's making more money typically gets more starts. So I think Anderson will. I agree with Bear. I, I think Bear looked very good. Um, I think the defense as a whole was fine for the most part. There. Definitely are some defensive deficiencies in Tony D'Angelo's game that were not necessarily there with Dougie. Um, I definitely think in the in the defensive zone, the team got hemmed in a good bit against Nashville when that pairing was on the ice. That's not me dragging on, you know, I've seen the Twitter discourse. Come at me with that in our podcast mentions and you're, you'll get met with the rock. Trust me. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, part of me thinks that a lot of the team's defensive woes, especially, you know, well, Tampa, I'll, I'll give that an exception. Cause that was a very young, I mean, most, I think, was it just Cole and bear? Were the, they yeah, were the only uh, NHL regulars in that game on the defense. Right. Yeah. Cause it was Selgren, so. Yelena, Keen, and, uh, Crap, I can't think of who 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 else. Uh, Might have been Lejoie. Yeah, so you know, I think I think the Canes defense is is going to take a little while because there are you know three new members on that blue line, right? Um, 
Ronson looked great. I thought that he was much, much better than he was against Tampa. I thought he was moving a little better. And he only played in 12 games last year. Um, so I think this is also him just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Right. I will say I'm very tired of power play Brett Pesci already. Yeah. I, I know it's air would be I, a lot better in that spot. Yeah. I think the Canes needed to get. I think if Ethan Bear can show fine in that role, then I'm okay with it for now. But I definitely want somebody that can quarterback power play too. And I don't think Pesci's the guy. Love the guy. I love what he brings, especially in the defensive zone. But my God, it's just clap bomb from the point into either a player's skates or the yeah. goalie's pads. And. Face right, off, yeah. lose possession, dump and change. It definitely feels I think like we saw that goal. last year too. Yeah. yeah. He scored I a mean, couple goals early on the power play, and then after that it was just like he shot every time he touched it. He didn't really try to move it around for a better look. And it, just, well, it yeah. sounds like Justin it's, Falk right there. It's, just, well, it's, Falk it's, also it's not natural for him. Well, yeah, yeah, but look where it got him. I mean, too bad Jake Gardner is not healthy, right? Because, yeah. I mean, he'd be exactly what the doctor ordered for right. that unit, but – I, I would even consider maybe taking Brett Pesci out and giving Brady Shea a look. I know he's, you know, I know he's a little kind of chaotic and he kind of handles the puck like a live grenade sometimes, but you know, when, when he gets direct and when he starts going, he's not terrible offensively. I don't, I'm not sure he can do worse. You know, I, I would give, I'd probably give bear the first crack, but. I wouldn't mind seeing Shea there either if it came down to it because I, I really agree that I just I, I think forcing Pesci in that role is just it's just like I said it's a force and you know there's other things that he should be focusing his game on and you know don't really you don't really need to pressure him into that role when offense just doesn't really come naturally for him. I think that could be good for Shea too, because sometimes it seems like he gets in on a rush and his speed and ability to get outside works really well, but then he kind of works himself into the corner or just doesn't know what to do with it once he gains entry. So maybe a little bit of time like that or more work on, you know, actually making plays happen could be good for him overall. Yeah. And I, I think, I just think with Pesci right now, the second unit just dies and you need offense from that unit and you're not getting it right now. So, you know, I think that that's something the team's going to kind of play around with this season. Um, I wouldn't hate to see Bear on the power play in uh, Saturday's game against Nashville. Yeah. I think that might be a look. Right. I think that might be okay. I also think Jesperi Kotkaniemi is going to be just fine here. I think I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Corey Lavalette said in that, you know, Offense doesn't die when it touches his stick and, you know, it's very controlled and he's going to keep possession. So he's the anti-Warren Fogel, you know, which is what he said, not my words like that. That was a little harsh for me. But when I read it, I was like, damn, he's right. Yeah, I can get, I can get behind that. <laughs> I was like, you know, that he's right, but he didn't have to say it like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that. You know, if we're looking at Kotkaniemi as an upgrade over Fogel, I think unquestionably he's an oh, upgrade. Oh, I mean, all day, all day. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you even add Seth Jarvis into the mix, maybe for a nine-game sample, because the way he played last night, 
you know, I think it was, I think it was Katie who tweeted this shout out Katie, if you're listening, but she said, she's like the tired version, you know, um, Seth Jarvis is too good for the WHL wired Seth Jarvis is too good for the AHL. And it almost feels like that. Like it feels like he's very close. My one concern would probably be that, you know, it's always been on the physical side. You've seen his physical limitations a bit. He still does kind of get pushed off the puck. Similar to the way Natchez did when he first came in, you know, uh, I think it was three years ago now um, when, you know, I think he played six games and he looked fine. He looked like he belonged, but he just kind of wasn't physically there yet. So they let him season in, in Charlotte that year, obviously did great for his development. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you do keep Jarvis around, you're probably playing him in a top nine role, which push, pushes Jesper Foss to the fourth line where he probably belongs, where, he can probably thrive a little more because, you know, back to what I said about forcing someone kind of into a role that isn't really great for them. Um, I just, I don't really consider Jesper Foss to be a top nine forward. I think his ideal fit is on the fourth line. Um, you know, kind of the same as Martin Oak when he gets pushed up the lineup and you can say it about a few other guys, but it's putting like, like Eric said, it's about putting a guys, um, putting guys in positions where, they're going to succeed and you're going to get the best from them and your group's going to benefit overall. And so I definitely think that um, Jarvis has earned a nine game look. And then, you know, you kind of make a decision based on his play at that point. I think Jesper Foss shot up a lot of people last night. <laughs> he was one of the Hurricanes' best forwards, and him and Lorenz legitimately yeah. chemistry. I, would I like don't know, to see man. Those two on the fourth. How about CJ Smith being yeah, like, they all good, good out of good. nowhere? That was, I know. that was the Hurricanes' second best line between Drury. Um, Seth Jarvis and Nino Niederreiter, who were yeah. excellent and seemed to be at the Nashville zone every time they were on the ice. Um, and they <laughs> scored know, the only two Kings goals. I, I was kind of thinking about this when Eric was talking about, um, you know, implementing a player into the hurricane system. And the thing that popped into my mind was imagine taking a player from Nashville system and putting them in the hurricane system. Because literally Nashville got a two, one lead last night and played a neutral zone trap the rest of the game. Yeah, in a preseason game, it was how do you think? One. How do you they think the game game one below the circles on the four check? They literally sat back, and it was the most. I was just making jokes and like yelling in my section the entire time, like this is so boring. This is the Virginia of NHL, Virginia it's college, the New basketball. York Islanders, but preseason yeah, hockey. Right. It's like, come yeah. on, guys. But this I mean, exact right, thing like is imagine what... taking one of their forwards and having them try to come here, and what kind of culture shock that would be going from that to. 100% well, of the time, you going, going, going. Well, like, you know, I'm saying it. That's why they lost game six is because into that third period, they're up one. I don't think they got a shot off after maybe the first minute or two. It was all Carolina. Yeah. And you can't just sit back. Um, going back to Jarvis, um, I think he gets games. I think at this point, the way Rod Brindamore is talking about him, he's at least going to get yeah. a look. It do, like I don't want to cut you off, but it does seem, you know, what we heard from Eric and kind of what you hear a little from, from Brindamore, you know, the hype is real and it does seem like they're trying to kind of pump the brakes a little, kind yeah. of to temper expectations. But, like, you know, we all know how good this kid is. I'm trying to pump the brakes too. And, like, yeah. honestly, when I say this, this is me saying, slow the hell down. Jarvis is winning the freaking Calder this year because <laughs> he's going to go back to the WHL. 
and it's going to suck. Yeah. But it's not like he's just going to be sitting there twiddling his thumbs in the WHL. He's getting top line minutes on probably one of the best teams in his conference in the WHL. Yeah, and you'll play in every situation. So here's here's the thing with Jarvis. Like we said, he's close, right? But does close warrant a full season if you can't send him down to the AHL? Because if he's close, but then you realize close is closer to, you know, needs more development time rather than close as in this kid could be fine in a third line role this year. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And you give him that 10 games and burn a year of his ELC. Not only are you having to pay him sooner, but you also kind of stunted his growth a little bit by having him flounder in the NHL. Yeah. But what if he goes to the WHL and like he could literally go give one problem I had with him was it's not even really a problem, but there was a few times where he's kind of forced passes blindly to the middle and he's it's turned the puck over. Yeah, that's just something that can work at times in juniors just because the coverage isn't that great. It doesn't work in the NHL. Like you're not going to blindly throw. There's always going to be a defenseman there that's always just going to knock it out. Like and he's, maybe he's once enough every to know like 15 chances, it's going to like, yeah, that defenseman is going to be asleep or have his back turned or be looking away at the wrong time. And you're, you know, your teammates can be able to get a stick on it. But that's like a junior level you know, habit that you kind of need to work out of as you get to the NHL. You need to hold on to the puck. You need to find a play. You need to cycle it. You need to do something. So things like that, like there's something to be said for, there's a possibility that he goes back to juniors and some kind of habits like that creep back up. But at the same, I mean, it's so hard. And this is kind of what we just talked about with Eric. It's like, what's best for his development? Because you don't want him to, you know, Sure, he can settle into a third line role here, but then he can develop bad habits here too. Like yeah. if things don't really go his way, and you're yeah. getting Jarvis to be a third line right winger, you want no, you're role. getting this him to be star upside, possibly want, the next Braden Point. Yeah, you want this kid to, you know, I, 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 it's it's tough. Yeah, I I think I got a side with Matt here. Um, just because, listen, how many times have we seen? Um, you know, a young kid, young rookie come into the NHL and start off on fire. And then, you know, kind of halfway through the season, they kind of hit the wall. And, you know, Seth Jarvis, he's 19 years old. Uh, he's not the biggest guy. Um, he's got those some physical limitations, which we've seen throughout the preseason, which is, you know, with which is kind of the thing that's plagued him uh, up to this point in his career. He's never going to be a, a top physical guy in the NHL. Um, so, you know, one thing that I think you have to worry about is, if you do plan on keeping him for the whole season and the same thing happens to him, that happens to a lot of other guys, his age, where he just kind of, you know, the 82 games in the NHL long season, it's no joke, man. It's a long season. Stephen Lorenz was saying men. that. Oh yeah. And the, the Stephen Lorenz, he's, he's six four two thirty, and he didn't even play a full season. You know what I mean? So, but the guy like Seth Jarvis, if he, if he sticks around because he impresses a lot in the first nine games and everyone's like, wow, you know, this kid, he's ready. But then he hits, he gets to a point in, say, in January or something where, you know, the physicality just takes a toll on him. And by then, you don't want to really send him back because you've already burned a year. And, like, you, you, can, you can risk ruining the kid's confidence. You know what I mean? And he's on totally. such a good trajectory right now that, you know, if he goes back to the WHL and absolutely dominates, tears up that league, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, he's too good for that. But 
at the same time, it's just going to keep adding to his confidence. He's going to keep getting better and hopefully work on whatever the Hurricanes tell him to work on while he's back there and just keep rounding out his game. And you don't really have to worry about anything going wrong in his development. Um, So I think I'm with Matt here that we probably don't see Jarvis for the full season. And you can even add um, the fact that guys like Jamison Reese and Jack Drury and, you know, the veterans like Nason that they brought in, these guys are also ready to come up and, and fill a hole if they need to. So it's not like you're really relying or counting on Jarvis at his age and where he's at as a player right now to, to kind of make or break your season. I don't think you need to rush him at all uh, the way the Hurricanes used to. And, you know, that's the luxury of being a good team. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm going to side with Matt here and say that he might get a few games. And even if it seems like he's ready, I just I don't think they're going to force it here. Yeah, I definitely don't think they will either. And, and that's probably what's going to end up happening. But, you know, the reason I was just presenting that sort of counter argument was just because this is what they need to consider, you know. And I Absolutely. heard um, – I actually heard Trick Tracy was on the Adam Gold show earlier this afternoon. I was driving and I, you know, had 99.9 um, in my car, which I pretty much always do. Uh, and he was talking about how in a lot of situations these kids, they're playing like it's the Stanley Cup final right now because they're trying to make the team. And a lot of the veterans are going through the motions. We definitely saw that last night. You know, the Hurricanes were not the top players anyway. We're not playing, you know, up to their standard. The best players on the team were the young kids. And, you know, it takes veterans some time to settle in. This is all what Trip Tracy was saying. And sometimes a young kid like Jarvis can start the year on fire. And I think that's a legitimate possibility. But it's going to be on the Hurricanes to kind of wade through that and say, okay, yes, he's starting great, but is it a product of he's already in tune and he's going to fall off and it's still going to be better off for his development to go back to junior, hit the weight super hard this year and work on a handful of things. Or if, you know, this is what it's going to be like for the entire season. Yeah. And I mean, either way, even if he does look ready in a couple games, it's, it's still going to be better just to send him back to junior and then reevaluate next year. Right. We saw Julian Gauthier had a great pre- Right. Probably right away. Right. Julian Gauthier had a great preseason in 2019 and look where he's at now. Right. Yeah. You know, sometimes it works like with Steven Lorenz. Sometimes it doesn't really work. So folks, we want to thank you for listening in this week. Uh, Good to get to hear a little more on the analytics side of things. And uh, we've listened to your comments. We know we need to get smarter. (laughs) And so we did just that this week. We educated ourselves by bringing on Eric Tolsky. We hope you've enjoyed that. Um, obviously, now with the season coming underway, um, might be a little hard to get some of these guests on, but we are still going to try. And uh, I think Eric had something to say before we leave. It's a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan. <laughs> <laughs>